Hey, welcome into Secret Truth Podcast. Alongside Mike Evans, I am Mark Schlereth, a millennial Ben producing the show. I want to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner, bet with Bet Rivers. Also, stinkinggood.com, stinking good green chili, uh, green chili and queso dips. Check us out at stinkinggood.com for more information. Hey, Mike, how are you, buddy? Good, good. It's it's a weird time right now for us here in Denver, and I guess maybe for a lot of cities around the NFL, because with the NFL draft coming up, it seems like a different feeling around the draft. Did you realize that after this big Eagles-Saints deal yesterday that we're looking at eight teams have two first-round picks, eight teams do not have a first-round pick, 11 first-round picks have already been traded, and two first-round picks have already been traded twice. Yeah, isn't it crazy? I mean, what does it tell you about the draft in general? So, uh, for me, there's there's a couple of different things that I look at with the draft. Like, I, I know that teams still ultimately build their team through the draft. That's what they think. But what does the draft truly give you? One, salary certainty. I think one of the big things about the draft for NFL franchises is, hey, I've got this guy locked up for four years or five years at a certain salary. And so... I've got those, you know, I've got those 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 cost restrictions, if you will, um, that are going to save me money because I'm not paying that guy. I'm essentially I'm paying him change out of the couch cushions, cushions compared to compared to you know what I'm paying a veteran player that's proven himself. So I think that's one thing that you look at. I, I think another thing is how much value do first rounders have. Because I think ultimately, you look at the first round right now, there are probably 15 guys in any first round that truly have first-round evaluations. And then I think there are another 15 that are probably really, truly second-round evaluations. And then we know there's a bunch of second-round quarterbacks that are going to get elevated into the first round, usually into the top 15 because of the value of the quarterback position and everybody's looking at the quarterbacks. So if all of a sudden three guys or four guys get elevated into the top 15, let's call it three guys, that means three legitimate first-rounders are going to get pushed out of the top 15. So there's real value there at 16, 17, 18, 20, whatever it is. So I think that's really – when you start to look at the draft, I mean, what have we seen here recently, this trend? F them draft picks, right? Let's – Let's dump those things. Let's go get a real veteran quarterback. Let's go get ourselves a guy like Matt Stafford, a guy that a lot of people out there said, oh, he's just overrated. He's just a big arm. He's just this. He's just that. Oh, yeah? Well, now you can add he's just a Super Bowl champion on top of that. Now, all of a sudden, this offseason, what is it? Carson Wentz goes to Washington. Maybe that one's not a good comparison, but Russell Wilson to Denver. Hey, all of a sudden, Matt Ryan, a former MVP, He's going to play in Indy. I mean, this is big time. I think what you're seeing, too, is, is you've got these, these teams. There, there's a combination of things I see it. One is that you have to have the quarterback, and you're willing, if you have that opportunity to go out and think you can find that guy, first-round picks be damned. Who cares, right? right. The other thing, too, Mark, and, and I think this is great if you're a football fan, it, it just seems like the urgency to win – is is ramping up even more now, and teams feel like, hey, instead of 
you know, hoarding first round picks with the idea of building something three, four, five years down the road. We gotta, we gotta try to win now. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's more of an overall urgency to win around the NFL than certainly you see in a lot of other sports where teams are just content to tank and lose. Yeah, I think it. I think some of that comes down to obviously. You know, this goes back to to kind of my physical or my philly. Phys, phil, ooh, that's easy for me to say. Philosophical approach. Boom. Went with physical. I had all kinds of different. You tend to F-words. combine words and then create new right. words, right? Out yes. of existing words. Yes, like psychic and physical, and then all of a sudden you're like, physical. Correct. Right. And the next thing you it's know, it's really ingenious. Yeah, you you really put two things, and people are like, "What are you talking about? That's not a word." And you go, "Oh, it would be if you combine <laughs> your physical with your psych." <laughs> That's right. Boom. Well, you're a man ahead of its time. Yes, exactly. Uh, I should have my own dictionary. Right. When I think about Stinks it, stinks dictionary. Yeah, stinkisms. Anywho, uh, you know, it goes back to the philosophy that I that I grew up with is trading an unknown commodity for a known commodity. Right. And and you just don't know what a, a draft pick is gonna develop into. You hope, you know, and you work, but what's a guy's aptitude? How quickly can he process information? And it's not just about your ability to process information, Mike. It's your ability to process information while you're getting the living snot beat out of your yourself, right? Like you're a great radio host. How hard would it be? If you're doing a radio show and every now and again somebody just whacks you with a baseball bat. <laughs> That's true. It'd right? Be, it'd, it'd be, be difficult. It'd be challenging. Yeah. We used to do this drill. This is this is so stupid. I'm going to go sidebar now. But um, so there's these things called the shoots. Okay? And, and the shoots are, it's essentially like a cage. And it's it's got if you if you made it a square, it's got you know it's like you could be made it out of PVC pipe or whatever, right? But it was always back in the day it was metal, and so it's probably four feet wide by you know four feet high, and you get in your stance in the shoots, and then it's and then you got to get through it, and it's a probably four feet long. And so you got to get through the shoot, and they'd have like three of them together. And you'd line up as an offensive line in those with your hand in the stance behind the, behind the cage there, and you'd fire through. And it was meant to stay low, right? You got to come off the ball. You got to stay low through these stupid shoots. Like, <laughs> and everybody's got them. Somebody developed them. Somebody made a mint on them, and they're just they're dumb. They're just dumb. But anyhow, everybody uses Everybody in the NFL uses them. You know, and some guy that's never played developed them and and is like, this is a great idea. And then a bunch of coaches are like, yes, this helps you stay low. And you're like, no, it doesn't, but whatever. But we got (laughs) to the point in college where we do the shoots. The shoots weren't good enough because my coach decided that you got to keep your eyes open on contact, which literally is when you hit your eyes, it's physiologically, it's impossible if you get hit in the face, not to close your eyes, it's like a little flinchy. It's just you for just for a split second. Your eyes are when you make the contact. But he was convinced that you could keep your eyes open during contact. Through contact, right? okay. So not only did we have to go through the shoots, 
Dan Cazetto, I love you. But then he'd hit us in the face with a wiffle ball bat. <laughs> why? We were, why? We Come were, on. Oh, yeah. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you had your helmet on, obviously, with your face mask. But he just whacked the crap out of you in your face mask with a wiffle ball. So we had the shoots and a bunch of wiffle ball bats. And you had to stand there and hit people in the face <laughs> with wiffle ball bats as you went through the shoots. And that doesn't happen anymore. Probably not. I should hope not. Uh, right? Because they're both stupid drills. <laughs> That's their really. Oh yeah. Would it be coaches wielding the wiffle ball bats, or did you as players get a chance to like whack at teammates? Mostly it mostly it was the coach okay. and the assistant coach. But yeah, I'm sure that we uh, occasionally would hit each other with the wiffle ball bats because wow. it was just good clean fun. What a drill. Yeah, oh, yeah. What a drill. Coaches ahead yeah. of their time. Yes, yes, exactly. That, I mean the things that we used to do. But you know, I, I just I just look at that whole draft process and the development of players and how do you develop under pressure? Like it's, there's so much more to it than being able to draw it up on a grease board or understand it and be able to articulate it in a meeting versus doing it on the on the field. And that's where, you know, the draft is a real inexact science. So if you have the science already perfected for you you know the equation is written out and the answer is there for you um you know why wouldn't you want that it's like it you know it's like goodwill hunting it's like if you if you're at mit and the equation is written out on the grease board in the hallway and 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 will hunting already solved it why would you go do the work yourself you just copy it down right <laughs> so the nfl teams are looking at it like this is the, the we'll call it the goodwill hunting okay this is the goodwill hunting um, football era. Why would we develop a young player that we don't know that it will develop and we'd spend all those resources and time on him if we could just give a couple picks away and get somebody that's already done it? Let's let let's wait and see if this is just a one-off or if this becomes a pattern where teams aren't coveting first-round picks as much. I can't help but think that <laughs> I, I can't help but think that maybe you know the fact that these teams are willing to give up so many first round picks in a year in which everybody seems to agree that the quarterback class isn't that strong. You know, if you have what is thought to be a pretty strong quarterback class coming out, right. Would, would, would we see the willingness to part with first round picks like we've seen this year? So I, I guess I just want to see this play out for a couple of years before we see, here's the say here, things have changed right here, but here is you're using logic. Yes, I am. Okay, you're, you, which is one of your problems. The fact that you use logic <laughs> is a real shortcoming to to your ability to be an analyst. Sometimes you just gotta can logic, and uh, and and you gotta go with just horse sense. See, that's where I'm brilliant. It's just on the logic, not so much. You know, like education, not really. I'm a general studies major from the University of Idaho. My education's an inch deep and a mile wide. I know a little bit about a lot of topics. So it's not logic that I use. It's horse sense that I use. And here's the thing that's changed. And why I don't think this trend of grabbing somebody else's proven commodity is going away. You know why? Because for the first time in the history of the National Football League, first time, Players are empowered like they've never been. 
What have we learned? You don't like the situation? Have your agent tell all the places that you want to go to, complain, build your entourage, and get shipped out of town. Because somebody else will look at your stuff and say it don't stink. And we'll take it here. Russell Wilson. I mean, think about fully guaranteed contract for a guy who's got 22 civil cases. How do you think that's changed the tenor of the league? I just did an event with Kyler Murray. Remember when Kyler Murray took down all his Instagram stuff about Arizona and was all upset about his contract? Now things things seem hunky-dory. Why? Because the game changed. Once Cleveland said, forget about your civil suits, forget about these depositions that just make you look horrible, forget about it. You can throw for 300-plus and four touchdowns, people will forgive us. We're going to go ahead and fully guarantee that contract. The game has changed forever. And so for me, if you can look at it and go, we, we got an opportunity to do something kind of special here, right? We got an opportunity to, uh, to kind of, I get a, I get to write my own rules, mm-hmm. so to speak. As a player, man, for the, I'm empowered. Oh, I know you have my rights, but guess what? I'm in control of my destiny. And if I want to go somewhere else, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to force my hand. I'm going to force my way out of town. I'm going to force the issue. And I think the league is, I think the league, we've seen, we've seen this start to happen. We saw it with guys like, um, oh, the safety that went to Seattle, Jamal Adams, right, out of the Jets. And we, we've seen a few of these guys force their hands. But I think what you're going to see, Mike, is more and more, if you don't like the situation that you happen to be in, Take off. All right, so on the subject of change then, how about the report that came out that Pete Carroll really lit into NFL owners at the meetings last week mm-hmm. saying that when it comes to minority hiring until you guys, the owners, mm-hmm. start to accept and go outside your comfort zone and be open to working with and hiring people that – to this point, you haven't shown that you're comfortable with. This this is never going to change when it comes to minority hiring in the NFL. That we can put as many Rooney rules and 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 uh, demands in there as as possible. It still won't ultimately change until the owners change their collective view. You agree with that? Yeah, I think there's I think there's great merit to that. And I think the thing, Mike, that uh, come on, I mean, I like. I think the thing that will help that, I, I, I love the rule that they implemented. Everybody has to hire a minority candidate on the offensive side. Add one person to your staff. But that person can't just be a guy that, you know, is quality control. collect Like, that guy has got to have the ability to elevate and to move forward. Okay? That's part of it. But even that, even that said, because I, 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 I mean, ultimately – as I've told you many times, you know, offensive numbers are Viagra to 80-year-old white owners. So if you have minority candidates running the offensive side of things that put up numbers, those guys are going to go to the head of the class. Those guys are going to get their opportunities. But most of the most of the minority candidates to this point have been on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's fair. That's fair to say. And so I think – 
implementing that rule to to make guy to to make teams say, hey, you're going to put one more offensive guy on your staff from a minority standpoint is good. But really, what it, it comes down to is, can an owner immerse himself in the day to day? And I'm not talking about the day to day business where you're negotiating with television networks that look like you. You know, I'm not talking about you know oil corporations and and how you're putting those deals together. I'm talking about being in the locker room, being in the meetings, really to see how cultures interact with one another. The the truly the strength of 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 just team sports in general and especially in the NFL is how you get this diversity to work together and how ultimately what you end up learning in those environments is that we all essentially want the same thing, right? We want prosperity. We want our families to be protected. We want our kids to grow up with more advantages that we had. We want good schools. And we, like, we all want the same stuff. Honestly, we do. And, you know, it's, I, I just, it, it, until you can embrace each other's differences, and look at each other's differences as as strengths because we're all blessed with different gifts. It's just like marriage, you know? You want a great marriage? You know, marry somebody who's opposite of you, whose strengths are different than your strengths, whose weaknesses are different than your weaknesses so that you can complement, not compete, but complement one another, not compete with one another. And, and you know, the beauty of, of football and I say this all the time, and I've talked to you know teams that I consult with. The best thing that we ever did as a team, for me personally, was shut down our meetings every Friday and discuss topics, whether it's political or you know whatever it is. Explain that a little bit more, right? Alex Gibbs, your longtime yeah. famous offensive line coach. You'd put a, a topic up on the grease board, right? Right. And and then we would discuss. And they would be, like I said, it could go from politics to something like, hey, man, your son comes home. He's 15 years old and says, Dad, I'm gay. What happens next? You know, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm in a real conversation here about real-life issues and we all come from, you know, different walks of life, from different economic backgrounds, from different social backgrounds, from different uh, geographical backgrounds. Like, we come from all over the United States of America. And when you start to realize we're not really that different, and even the different ways and the different cultures that we grew up in when we can lean on one another and understand that they complement one another, that that there's there's great strength in that, there's great you know connectivity in that. It just made us a really really tight group of guys that truly cared about each other, truly loved one another, and and here's the other thing, truly could accept our differences and go, okay, it's all right. You think a little bit differently than me. It doesn't make us enemies. You know, and ultimately, like I said, there's a lot more that connects us than does separate us. 
when you when you have those real conversations. But if you're an owner that that can't be involved in that or doesn't come down to really accept that or or see it or grow into it, I say this all the time. Like, like I think I've I've done a pretty good job for myself, you know, being a television analyst over the years, and it's probably because. I can connect a couple sentences together and I can articulate a point to a degree fairly well. Um, I ain't that smart. I'm not, but I have that skill. And I've been around a lot of guys that can't, regardless of color, that can articulate very well. That they, they can't string a couple sentences together very well. But you know what? Those guys are a lot smarter than me. I guarantee you, they just don't have the same skill set that I have. And so, I, I, if it can tell you can immerse yourself in that and to really start seeing people for what they are beyond just the surface that we get into, you know, just the, how you doing? I'm fine. Great. That's the answer I wanted to hear because I don't want to dig deep into it. Right. Now I can move on. Hey, I'm fine. You're fine. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's go get some breakfast. Yep. And... So anyhow, unless the owners can immerse themselves in that, I, I don't know how much. I think Pete Carroll's right. I don't know how much is going to really change. Well, we're, we're looking at here in Denver, new ownership, and the NFL is strongly suggesting that it in, involve a minority uh, owner, uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of the ownership group. Peyton Manning's name has been linked to uh, to ownership groups, and we just saw here – in Denver, the, the power of Peyton Manning, how he played a, a significant role in helping attract Russell Wilson to choose the Broncos. And, you know, to me, Peyton Manning is a fascinating, fascinating figure because there's nothing he can't do. Mm-hmm. He's so involved in everything. He's living the dream life right now. But he it, it it he strikes me as somebody he'd be such a valuable asset to an NFL team. But what does that right? What does that look like? What what does that entail? I think that here's where I think Peyton. I, I mean, obviously, like you said, that dude could that dude could be a regular cast member on Saturday Night Live. I mean, the guy is he. he he is so detailed and so programmed, and he works so hard at everything that he does. But ultimately, why would you not want Peyton Manning as part of your ownership group, but you would move him into the front office as the president or the grand poobah of all things football? Because think about having that guy as an organizational asset. He's an asset. So when it comes to scouting, hey, Peyton, like to pick your brain about the quarterbacks. Like to pick your brain about offensive linemen. Like to pick your brain about defensive secondary. Yep. Like to pick your brain. What made Ed Reed so good? Right. What made, right, da 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 Yep, yep. Um, so we'd like we'd like to have your insight on the scouting and the player procurement area. Great. 
Let's go. Let's look at the film. Let's look what whatever, right? How about on the business side of oh. things? <laughs> I mean, hey, Peyton, like you don't think you're closing a deal with uh, Panera or whoever, right? Like Peyton rolls in and, yeah. and gets himself one of them bowls of soup that come in a big thing of bread. <laughs> right? I'll take the clam chowder yeah. with, uh, yeah. you know, in the, bread the, bowl. in the bread bowl. <laughs> and Panera's like, where do we sign? Right, done. Yeah. I mean, obviously. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, on the business side of things, he'd be phenomenal. Just having him in your building from a player relation to coaching standpoint, having him walk through the locker room, just fully knowing as a player what he accomplished. And knowing that he'd be putting in the work. This wouldn't be just some sort of glorified no, he's figurehead not, position. Right. He's not some America's guest that mm-hmm. just happens to walk through the you know But you think he wants that though. He's got a great life right now. He can he can be doing Monday night football with his brother one day. He can be down in Knoxville taking in a Tennessee game the next. He's mm-hmm. doing commercials. He's he's do you think he would want to give Basically, all that up to grind. I don't think he would have to give all that up. I think he'd give some of it up. But I think that Peyton Manning is so into scratching that competitive itch, whatever that itch may be. And all that stuff fits into the mantra, plus building something. Mm-hmm. I just think he's a builder, you know, and and investing and building into the culture and the infrastructure of this Denver Broncos team while living in Denver and doing all the things you've done. I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of step back and look at what you've created. I look at, I mean, the guy's still, how many years retired? Six, seven years retired? He's still the number one pitch guy in America, as far as, far as athletes are concerned, is there anybody that is, is a bigger pitch guy than Peyton no. Manning? No. No. You've got Monday Night Football that you, you're, your, your, you're dragging your dry-witted brother into who's actually <laughs> awesome. He is awesome. Eli's awesome. Like, everything you touch, you, you've got the Midas touch. Yeah. So, if I'm an ownership group, why would I not want Peyton as part of my ownership? If right. I'm the Broncos, why would I not want Peyton right. Right. to be in that role? Right. Or if he doesn't end up – but it doesn't have to be the Broncos. I mean, you could, you can easily add Peyton Manning as a minority owner and then give him all that responsibility you just talked mm-hmm. about. I, I just – boy, I just think he would be such a valuable asset to an NFL team. Oh, yeah. And if, if – He's sending out the message that he wants to be involved in something like that. Wow. Who wouldn't be lining up? Yeah, I think, I mean, you would, you'd have to be a virtual idiot not to line up. Right. That, right. Right. So anyway, be curious to see what happens with, with, with him, his next journey. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I just, I have always felt like, and I still feel like to this point that at some point, you know, he's going to quit dicking around. And... <laughs> Get serious about his life. Right. What are you, yes. you going to do when you grow up? Yeah, right. He's going to grow up at some point and realize. 
I just always felt like that this this was part of the journey. Yeah. Like this is like what I've always wanted to do. I just think that that intrigues him. Like having the authority to build the team. Right. To build the culture of the team. To, you know, Bill Polian, what I like to call the commander in chief, Bill Polian always told me, oh, yeah. Peyton could roll right in right now. He's so detailed. He'd roll right in and be a GM, not a, yep. without question. Without Easy. Question number one. Easy. Anyhow. Let's make it happen. All right. For everybody involved in the Stink Truth Podcast, for our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. He is Mike Evans. I am Mark Schler of Millennial Ben producing the show. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with you next week.